Hello, welcome to Liberal Europe, a podcast on ideas, politics and all things European, European Liberal Forum project. My name is Leszek Jaszczewski and I really hope that you enjoy the show. Hello, uh, welcome to Liberal Europe podcast. My name is Leszek Jaszczewski and today we're going to discuss the protests in Israel. Beginning of the year, we saw massive tens of thousands of people at the streets of Israel protesting against the subjugation of the legislature to the executive, something we already seen uh, in Poland and Hungary, among others. And uh, we have a very special guest, uh, very proper to discuss those issues, Professor Yuli Tamir, uh, who is the president of the Beit Baruch College, adjunct professor at the Blavatnik School of Government, where we actually met at the Oxford University. She also was a former Minister of Immigration and Minister of Education, and she's a leading scholar on the issue of nationalism and the author, among others, of the book Why Nationalism. Yuli, welcome very much to the podcast. Thank you for hosting me. So, uh, can you give us, uh, I suppose that not every listener m- might be following the, exactly uh, the, the reforms and the politics of Israel. What was the context of this, of this uh, proposed law and why it was so controversial? This uh, new government that was uh, elected a few months ago um, wanted to change uh, the balance between the three branches of the government in Israel. So um, to begin with, we don't have a very good control system of the parliament over the government because the government always has a majority in the parliament. So really the balance of power in Israel is between the legislative body, the parliament, and the Supreme Court. Now this uh, government uh, wanted to actually overrule the power of the Supreme Court to make um, review of government decisions. This is not a common uh, thing for the Supreme Court to do still, the Supreme Court has the ability to uh, overview the process of legislation in Israel and in some cases uh, actually send law back to the legislature to be amended even when they violate some basic rights or basic principles. So the, the, the heart of the debate is what is the balance of power between the government and the Supreme Court and the attempt of the government actually uh, to make the, the parliament almost, uh, sorry, to make the Supreme Court almost redundant in the sense that it cannot um, overrule and it cannot review government action, which would have made the government the sole decision maker in the country. And that is why there is so much... Um, anger and frustration among Israelis who would like to see uh, a more balanced democratic system like in all other Western democracies. So uh, Netanyahu has been for the long time uh, in the conflict with the uh, well, large parts of society. I mean, of course, popular in the others is since he's got elected. Mm, can you... Uh, try to be devil's advocate and see it from the perspective of the government. Did they have any good arguments? Was this power you mentioned of um, scrutinizing 
the government's uh, propositions, um, parliamentary propositions abused by the by the court? Was it like any sort of excuse they gave for for this reform at this very moment? The excuse they gave um, relates to a decision that was actually taken in the nineties, where uh, the Supreme Court. In uh, hand in hand, actually, with a very progressive parliament, made a set of laws, of basic laws regarding human rights. Actually, uh, the the basic or the core of the Israeli uh, juridical system. And there are uh, questions of whether this has been done in a proper manner. I mean, the decisions were, was taken by the parliament and. Uh, without uh, um, uh, the procedure of basic, because there was no procedures how to uh, make a law, uh, basic law, which is we don't have a constitution, so our legal system is based on basic laws, and there could be some uh, criticism of the process. The question is not whether there is a reason to review the system. The question is whether the review would leave Israel um, without a balance of power or with a new balance of power. A lot of people uh, uh, agree to review the system, but all of the people who are objecting the government and the people who object the government come from very different parts of the Israeli society. All of them disagree uh, with an attempt to make Israel uh, a country with only one central power, which is actually uh, quite close to a dictatorship. The protests uh, I saw, I mean, we, we, we had a conversation beforehand, but of course it was all over the media in early early spring and in winter, uh, were, well, were, were massive, I think perhaps considering the size of Israel, one of the, one of the biggest in the, in the recent memory um, anywhere, and, uh, and definitely the biggest in Israel history and also quite I would say innovative in terms of the of the methods of protesting and wide ranging. It wasn't just the I know urban elite, it was very much widespread. Can you give us the feeling of what was it like? Where how it started, how it was going, the the sort of like the feeling on the streets but also the strategy, what were the goals? Because we, we had a lot of experience, we, we talked about it also in this podcast, I would say unsuccessful. And so far, at least, seems that, that you managed to stop it before, before the law took place. So can you give us a feeling of the, of the protests uh, that's, well, uh, that's, that, that took place two months ago? Well, it, first of all, the protest is still going on. It's a very grassroots uh, sort of uh, uprising, and it is uh, bringing together many different groups in the Israeli society. So it's not one group that is like leading the protest or one party. Um, it's really a coalition of many, many, many organizations, um, some very left-wing, some very centrist, all of whom agree on one thing, that they want Israel to remain a democracy and they want the democracy to be grounded in a proper balance of power. And in this debate, also in Israel, uh, there is the question of the role of the ultra-Orthodox ultra community and the separation of church and state, something that hasn't been established in Israel and I think uh, is now coming to sort of uh, become one of the 
central issues of the debate. Are we going to have a separation? Or maybe maybe this is not a good description because Israel is a Jewish state and we will never have a full separation between church and state. But what would be the limit of church intervention in state matters? So those are the two main things that um, pull people to the street. And the fact is that the people who object the government now are actually the people who carry the burden of um, the country on their shoulders. They are the people who work, who pay the taxes, who are recruited to the army, who serve in the, um, in the, in the army, in the fighting forces, um, who are uh, leading the Israeli academic uh, community, the startup community. So this is the very productive part of the society. And I think this is also um, the reason why, uh, despite the fact that the government tries very much to uh, dismiss this group, it is very hard to dismiss it under these circumstances. So in terms of organization, you're saying that it wasn't like, let's say, organizational committee, because I'm thinking like, how do you get from the kind of even logistics perspective, you know, the, the, the people that securely on the street to provide for, uh, well, technical equipment and so on, and also to decide who, who's going to speak, who's not going to speak, what to wear, uh, you know, what's going to be the symbol of the march and so on and so on. I'm just thinking how that was managed, because this is very impressive. Uh, and I'm thinking like sometimes even in practical terms, how do you do it if you don't have like established organization with the structure with the hierarchy and so on and so on. And also brand recognition, it, it, it's, it's almost unbelievable that it sort of happens by itself, right? It's, it's very decentralized. And I think there are only uh, one organizing principle that is agreed on, that is agreed upon, that um, all the demonstrations start with a strong commitment to uh, the well-being of the state of Israel. They are very much motivated by a commitment to the state and uh, belief in the Zionist uh, sort of ideology. Um, in all the demonstrations, people carry flags, uh, sing the national hymn, talk about the history of the country, and all of them um, are centered around uh, the well-being of Israel in the future as a Jewish and democratic state. Other than that, People in the different towns and provinces organize their own demonstrations. They uh, bring their flags, they print their T-shirts, they invite their speakers. So um, everybody tries to be part of this main ideology, but the way the demonstrations sort of look is very different. Music, the actors, the speakers, they vary from one place to another. But in terms of, let's say, ideology, you say that basically this is like very wide sort of like support for, well, Jewish state of Israel. And the second is sort of uh, skepticism towards most, I, I suppose, fundamentalist elements of, um, of, of, of Judaism, like political Judaism, right? And uh, is it like any sort of political parties, do they try to sort of use it for their own purposes or it's or is the movement itself possible to evolve into sort of like the wider oppositions against Netanyahu and, and this government? 
or is it on a different metapolitical level that that it operates and and sort of like everyday politics is not really the the, the part of it well interestingly enough i think the the initial organizers the people who started the big demonstrations in tel aviv before they spread all over the country were very clear about the fact that they are not interested in polit- acting politicians they are not interested in joining hands with any existing party so they uh, actually created a very important principle in this uh, uprising that while it is clear that it is serving the opposition and we see it in public opinion poll that the government is losing seats for the opposition it is not run by the opposition uh, members or acting members of the opposition do not speak in demonstrations or certainly not in the central demonstrations and there is a growing um demand that uh the 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 protest will not be used on a sort of a shallow sort of political interest kind of negotiation so obviously the government suffers uh from the lack of uh ability to control the demonstrations however uh they do um have a lot of um um so government uh is losing power due to the demonstrations but it's not clear which party is going to gain from it or whether a certain person is going to gain from it leadership and that i think keeps it sort of in a way neutral from uh political pressures that are uh very common to you know just a democratic debate uh, um in general so it's not like about that person or this person it has a face it has a face because there is a very prominent woman who is leading the demonstrations in Tel Aviv and she became the face of the uh of the um of the um of the demonstrations but she's not a political person she's a um she's a professor in the Weizmann Institute and i think this is very important that it is really a the voice of the people that we hear rather than a political voice yeah that's definitely the, the, the big difference between the israeli and and polish uh protests how did government react because i understand at the beginning they wanted to push through this this legislation then they started to attack the protesters and in the end they they sort of gave in at least temporarily can you can you describe this dynamics between the protests and 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 the government i don't think they are they i don't think they are giving up their power the government they're still i mean there are parallel to the demonstration there are negotiations going on at the president's residence uh trying to reach an agreement Uh so this is where the government and the official opposition are meeting and trying to negotiate a solution. I think the role of the protest is to show the government uh that it ha- that uh, the protester have a lot of power uh to stop or to um uh disrupt any decision that uh takes us towards uh an illiberal democracy or totalitarian reality so in their negotiations in the president's uh, residence they are very much aware of what is happening outside 
And there, I don't think there is a way for them to stop the demonstration. Uh, our very extreme right-wing uh, minister of national security, who is actually Bank a, yeah, a big part of the mm-hmm. problem, um, tried in the beginning to recruit the police to be more aggressive towards the uh, protesters and failed. And that was a very interesting process where he was like criticizing the head of the Tel Aviv police for not being harsh enough on the demonstrators and then try to remove him from his position. Uh, This is still uh, pending, but uh, all in all, uh, there is um, an ongoing um, sort of balance of power between the demonstrators and the police. And except for some extreme cases, the police is sort of uh, uh, restricts itself, I would say, um, regard the, regarding you know reactions to the. They don't try to prevent the demonstration. They allocate places for the demonstrators. They actually protect the demonstrations, the demonstrators in parades and so on. Um, so there is a sort of a, a sort of a, there is a distance between the protesters and the police, but also very few clashes, aggressive clashes. Given the number of protesters, you would assume it would be harsher to uh, control, but it is a very controlled uh, set of demonstrations. Um, I saw in the end of April that there were also demonstrations for like getting this reform um, going. Uh, I think there was a pressure on the government from the, from the right-wing protesters. How, how, what's the situation right now? Because it seems that the, since the Knesset uh, returned, like I think it was April, right? It's, it's, there are these negotiations that you're mentioning. It seems unlikely, I think, that protesters will accept anything but total capitulation, right, of the government and withdrawal. Political parties perhaps would have to try to find a compromise. What do you think it's, it's, is going to happen right now? It's very hard to know because it has a lot to do with the balance of power within the government. I think if, if, if it was up to Netanyahu, he would rather stay in power and uh, reach a solution. But uh, because he created a government with very, very extreme forces, they are now controlling him. They are unwilling to compromise. And he might be dragged into a situation where he is... Um, uh, I, I won't say forced, but it is very hard for him to resist the inner pressure within his government, and he would prefer to give in to the pressures within his government rather than to the pressure uh, coming from the street. That would lead to a major, major crisis, and I think then the I think the violence will be. Uh, erupting and and we will see a much more violent uh, type of um, of demonstrations um, which certainly is something that certainly could happen uh, but I don't know uh, whether this will be the case so basically the, the argument is that if they decide not to follow with the with this with this law the government will, will fall right because the coalition partners of Netanyahu will decide to break the government or, or you think they can be convinced by other means? 
Well, this is really, uh, unless Netanyahu manages to control his partners, the government will fall. And Netanyahu's only concern is staying in power because of his court case. So it's like a trap for him. If he goes with his partners, they keep him out of court, but they would can you know lead uh, the government to a political crisis. If he uh, controls them, he and uh, you know manage to reduce uh, the resentment to the government, he may survive a little bit longer, but will lose his power because he will be uh, probably trading. Actually, this is what he's doing right now. He is trading the um, fact that he's not continuing with the process of the uh, uh, legal reform by sort of actually pouring money on every uh, member of the parliament who he could, in one way or another, recruit as a supporter in order to keep the coalition going. Well, he's one of the perhaps most skilled political operators you know, in the world uh, that, that, that are still uh, active in politics. So uh, I, I, if anyone will find a way, I, I think he may. Do you think that scenario in which it's basically it draws on forever, like months and months until the protests sort of like calm down? Do you think that this is a realistic scenario, that there is no like a decision this or, or, or that way? Certainly, this is what uh, Netanyahu would like. Um, you know, he would like to go um, slowly, slowly until the Jewish holidays. Then the country is sort of paralyzed for about a month, month and a half, uh, and that will gain him some time. Uh, that that's his uh, idea of how not to uh, uh, sort of push the things into uh, immediate decision making. So, like dragging the decisions, but. Uh, the, the the opposition, the, the the political opposition, is pushing him towards making some decisions as much as they can legally do. Um, so um, it's an interesting question. Where the the first debate now is the is convening the uh, committee that uh, chooses the Supreme Court judges. That legally should happen in about two weeks. Uh, and I think Netanyahu is now trying to postpone it because this is a moment of clear crisis. Somebody must win because the debate is over the construction of that com- particular committee. Um, so he might uh, find himself forced to make a decision. Um, let's see if, you know, we call him the Houdini of, um, you know, uh, of political crisis, if he can come out of it. But it looks like a, a difficult um uh, thing to manage. We're getting slowly to, to the end, so I'm just going to ask you two quick, but I suppose pretty big questions. So one, how do you think that the protests transform, if, if at all, the, the Israeli identity as a nation? I think something very interesting happened, that the Israeli left, that was let's say in the last 20 years, maybe like many other left-wing parties around, or central uh, left-wing parties around Europe, uh, was more interested in the market than in national existence. And like, okay, Israel is a state, it's going to be here, we don't need to fight for it, 
So let's, you know, put our um, efforts in the startup, in the economy, in other um, aspects of uh, the community, which are mostly the economic ones. Now, this debate forced us back to the very basic questions of our existence. And um, it forced the more centrist liberal Israel to fight again for its place and actually reclaim Israel as a liberal Zionist state rather than just, you know, liberal not only in terms of markets, but also in the terms of human rights, balance of power in, in democratic terms. So suddenly the liberal democratic agenda, which was sort of uh, pushed aside, is back um, in the center of the debate. And interestingly enough, many people, I think a lot of them, if you would have asked them a few months ago, are there how much, how committed they are to these values, they would say, well, you know, it's important, but it's not number one or two in my rank of, you know, uh, priorities, would actually understand how important it is for them and are ready, they're ready to fight for it now because they have redefined their identity as political agents. And uh, for me, it's fascinating because I have always been in that sort of particular place of being both a Zionist, but uh, a very much a liberal activist and a human rights activist, which was like an empty space where nobody was there. And now it's very crowded, uh, which I think actually is quite interesting. And I think it's interesting also because it's happening elsewhere. I think people were very keen to fight uh, for their countries uh, in processes of decolonization or independence, they forgot why they fought for their countries for a while. And now it's coming back in an in a interesting and very, I think, hopeful way to the uh, political discourse. I, I think it's quite true that this sort of like liberal nationalism that was absent in the very much big part of 20th century, but was at the, at the beginning of the, of the nation states, perhaps is now uh, taking over in Israel. The, the very last question, how do you, do, do you think that providing that protests prevail and this sort of liberal uh, Zionism might be the, the, the main ideology or emotion uh, that will define the, the future Israel? What, what place in Israel do you think will be for, for Palestinians? It's a very interesting question because the Palestinians now, the Palestinian citizens of Israel, now say, look, it's your debate. We're not actually participating in it. Um, you have to decide what kind of country you would like to have. And, you know, in a way, in a strange way, we are just bystanders. We don't like this state anyhow. Um, obviously, it is more important for you to define it than for us. And then we will fight for our rights with whatever state you guys decide to um, you know, adhere to. Uh, so the Palestinians started as really observer of the debate. I think now with a lot of violence happening in the Palestinian communities, with the, a lot of Palestinians feeling um, actually the risks uh, embedded in this kind of uh, illiberal democracy to them as citizens, they are a little bit more 
um, ready to engage in the demonstration. But still, it is very much a, a Jewish-Israeli thing, rather a Palestinian-Israeli debate. And what I think the way the debate will be settled will also determine very much the place where the Arab citizens of Israel uh, be allocated in the new state and how much they will be ready to fight for it. Okay, we'll end here and um, hoping for, well, prepare, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. But but in this case, Israel uh, showed that it can stop the, the bad law from happening and, and, and ho hopefully it's going to be the case and also that the example for the civic society and, and the liberals elsewhere, how to successfully stop the autocratic tendencies before they actually materialize. Yuri uh, uh, Tamir, thank you so much for being with us today in Liberal Europe. Thank you. That's all for today. Um, and it's going to be the last episode before the summer break. Um, but we are going to be back in a month time. And uh, so please don't forget to tune in to Liberal Europe. Uh, have a great holiday. Uh, talk soon. Uh, and um, all the best. Leszek Kajewski. Thank you. Bye. You can find this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And if you like what we are doing and want to help spreading the liberal values, please give us a five-star review and share with your friends.